Well, good morning. A little fewer in number today, but uh, there's a lot of people being very, very cautious and during this time, and that's fine, and we, we expect that. And uh, so uh, we're hopefully that a lot of people are going to be joining us online today. And, uh, but we're glad that you're here today, and uh, we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to honor him, and we'll give him the glory. And that's the reason why we're here, whether or not you're here in this building or whether you're home watching. Uh, we're just glad to, to be together and worshiping the Lord. That um, video there was Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's who God is. And so we're here to worship that God. We're here to worship the Christ who is the creator of all things. And there's a verse of scripture or a little passage of scripture that reminds us, and it's in, the, uh, it's in Colossians. And, uh, and if you would just read it with me, let's, uh, let's, this is who we worship. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that's who we've come to worship today. And I hope that that's what your goal is as we're here for the next hour or so. Uh, we're going to uh, sing a song called Forever Jesus. We're a little bit short on the choir right here, but we're going we're gonna to do our best because we're going to honor God, and that's who, that's who we're singing to. It's about Forever Jesus. Now, I'm going to let you all remain seated, but I want you to kind of pick up on it, start singing it with us, and because uh, this is a great song, because we've come to praise him today, but because of who he is and what he has done and what he's going to do, we will be eternally with him and so we're going to praise him forever and ever. And that's what this song is all about. So uh, let's sing this together, Forever Jesus. My hymn of praise shall be forever, Jesus, my firm foundation in shifting sands. Thy strength and hope through many fears and failures, the disappointments of the breath, his constant love has held. Yeah. 
my song of joy will be forever Jesus who bore my suffering who made a way his life a gift his death a precious ransom that wipes the sinner's guilt away and turns my
glad he made you free this morning? Amen. Are you glad he made you free this morning? <laughs> Amen. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. I want you to listen to the words of the choir. Because of the fact that this great creator, this great God that we've come to worship this morning, is the same one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he's the one who sends a spirit with us, and he walks with us, and he talks with us, he teaches us, he comforts us, and, uh, and he keeps us, keeps us safe in him. And uh, we just want to thank him for that. And this is uh, taken kind of from the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, a little different song. But it's the same thing. It is well, it is well with my soul. Listen to the choirs they sing. Thank you. 
Let's all pray together. Father, we've come this morning because, Lord, we know that you're here and we know that you're with us. And, God, we know that as we we sing these praises to you, Lord, and we lift up your word to you this morning and lift up our prayers to you, God, we know that you are listening because, God, you are the living God. And, Lord, We just thank you that the great, powerful creator of this universe, the awesome God that you are, the one and only living God, can not only be here, but listens and works within each and every one of us, Lord. Oh, God, we just love you today, and that's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why we join in online when... Some people are are ill this morning, and some people are being cautious, Lord, with that. But, Father, we know that wherever we are, you walk with us, and you talk with us, and you, you comfort us. And, Lord, the fact that you're the great and awesome God to just know each and every one of us in this personal, intimate way, Lord, is just astounding. God, we marvel at your love and your mercy. And your grace, because we know that only through your love and your mercy and your grace is the only reason why we are here this morning. Because we belong to you. You are our Father. You are our God. You are our Shepherd. You are our Protector. You are our Provision. And Lord, we can name things over and over and over again all day long to describe who we know that you are. But Lord, more than anything, you are our Savior. You are our King. So Lord, we've just come to worship you. We've come to praise your name this morning. And Father, as we leave here this morning, every one of us, as we're walking out this door, Lord, we just, Lord, we just pray that you will be satisfied with our hearts of worship this morning. Because, Lord, you are the focus this morning. You are the one that we sing to, we pray to, we worship, not us. Father, we're not here for us. We're here for you. And, God, you just mean so much to us. And, Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you for that. Father, I pray for Thad as he comes and brings the important message that he has for you because you've given it to him. And Lord, I just pray that you would just give him the freedom to speak your word as you always have. And Father, that we would have receptive hearts and open hearts and the Spirit of God would move among us today. Be with us now during the rest of this time. These things we pray in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Ron, and choir. A few weeks ago, I was minding my own business, and uh, someone got my attention. I won't mention a name. He's about six foot five and has great hair. Um, but he wanted to give me something, and it was a golf ball. You remember the illustration I used about the golf ball? Quite sure you do. But one 
Uh, on one side of the golf ball, there are the initials RT. I believe we all know what that stands for. And then on the other side of the golf ball, SN. We know what that stands for as well. And if you're maybe confused and don't understand what those initials are, SN would stand for, or excuse me, NS would stand for Nick Saban, and RT would stand for Roll Tide. So I will be hitting this golf ball, probably not down the fairway, but in the swamp. I'm just waiting for the right course. But this golf ball is a great lead-in to what we want to talk about um, this morning. The subject I have is focus and identity, and I think you're going to find that a lot of it has to do with focus, and just as a bonus, we're given a great description of our Lord. One of my favorite golfers is Jack Nicklaus. He was a great golfer, and uh, in his prime, I mean, he won 18 majors. No one has ever won that many. There is a picture of him at Bentbrook Golf Course, and um, you can't miss the picture because it's on the wall, and the way that he is positioned behind the golf ball is quite amazing. When you watch, if you've watched golf, I don't know how much you pay attention to the way that a golfer might line up behind the golf ball, but the great golfers have their head right like that. And if the golf ball's here, they're focused on that ball all the way through their swing. You know that, right? As an amateur golfer, if you've tried to play golf and not done that, it's probably not gone well. Jack Nicklaus, um, in a video I saw one day, in talking about the golf swing, says, if you're going to hit the golf ball off the tee the way you need to hit it, you need to place it on the tee and find your dimple and look at that dimple all the way through the shot. He said you have to focus on a dimple. There are many dimples, but pick one. And this morning, I wanted to talk about the importance of us as it relates to our focus as believers, especially considering the days that we are living in. These are extraordinary days, and we're, we're doing life together but I wonder if we really are. I just, I, I've wondered that. Are we really doing life together the way the Lord wants us to do life together? In focusing in on the things that are eternal and not the things that are on the earth. The Apostle Paul talks about that very issue when he writes to the Colossian church and he says set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on the earth and I would dare say in the last year and a half there's been a lot of focus on the things that are on the earth I don't know where you think that is but I believe it's a actually a problem and I actually believe the Lord would say it's a problem in times of crisis, there's a tendency to focus on self and surroundings and not necessarily a tendency to prioritize our focus on the Lord. In fact, I want to tell you just right from the beginning, I tried to get away from this message. I just did. I was like, Lord, this is not where I want to go with focus and identity. 
I don't want to go here. I want to handle a passage like Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 4, which is a little bit easier to do. I don't really want to handle the text you've given me, but all week long, and I can give you illustration after illustration, these verses were referred to by different people and in different settings, and I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, what are you telling me? You're saying, hey, Thad, you can't get away from it. Howard Hendricks probably summarizes best what's on my heart and mind as it relates to focus and identity. He says, only when I focus on the holiness and glory of God am I able to see myself with accuracy. Which takes us to a passage of scripture that you probably know well, but I'm not sure how familiar you are with the setting and the context, and so... I want us to go to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. As you turn there, we want to look at verses 1 through 3 today. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. We want to spend a good bit of our time trying to understand the importance of focusing on the Lord in our life. That He becomes the primary focal point in our life as we're walking day by day. And that the primary focal point for us are, are not the events that are going on in our world. And I'm not saying don't be educated. So don't walk out of here and say, well, Thad said we don't need to know about the events in our world. No, we need to. And we need to be concerned about the events in our world. But we don't need to focus more on them than we do the Lord. And I think there has been a propensity in the last year and a half to do just that. In times of crisis, there is a temptation to focus on self and on the crisis. And in fact, when you come to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, many people kind of skip over that first line, the first few words. But they're very, very important words. It says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. Some translations have high and lifted up, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And you see that later in the text when they fly over toward Isaiah. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can we pray together? Lord, as we look at your word today, I believe we're going to be reminded in the language of the text about something that's very critical for us in the day and time we're living in, and that's the issue of focus. Where is our focus, our primary focus? Is it on all of the things that are going on in our world, or is it on you? 
I pray that we would learn from Uzziah, from the seraphim, from Isaiah today, that we might understand better where you want our focus and how awesome you are as you're described here in this text. And so I pray that you would help us by your spirit in the name of Christ. Amen. There was a crisis in the 8th century B.C., which Isaiah happened to be a part of. And the crisis is given to you right here in the text. In the year of King Uzziah's death, theologians wrestle with whether or not he was already dead or about to die. Does it really matter? I don't think so in some ways. Most theologians believe that he was already dead. But the Lord here is giving graciously a lesson to Isaiah. He's wanting Isaiah to take his focus on, or excuse me, off the things that he could not control and put them on the things that would give him peace. Specifically, putting his focus on the Lord himself. So when we read in the year of King Uzziah's death, it doesn't need to be done casually. Or with an attitude of, how much does that matter anyway? It's quite significant. Because for Isaiah and Judah, the throne was about to be vacant, or it was vacant. And as one theologian said, there was great uncertainty in Judah, and Isaiah's world was literally coming apart. Well, (laughs) you read that and you're like, well, uh, uncertainty... In our world today, for a lot of people, yes. Should there be for us? It's a good question. My personal thought is there shouldn't be. We should know that we live in the last days. And that difficult times are ahead. And that Christ is coming. And that we have nothing to fear. That the Lord has given us his spirit that indwells us. But we're human. And when events take place, sometimes there's unrest and sometimes there's anxiety. And the Lord knew that for Isaiah. And he's gracious to give him this wonderful picture of himself. The Lord intervenes in Isaiah's life and gives him a vision which I believe was intended to give Isaiah peace. It was intended, I believe, to do two primary things. It was to move Isaiah's focus from what, who wasn't on the throne to who was on the throne. <laughs> you say, what's the big deal? You'll see in a minute. Uzziah just didn't rule for six months or a year. So he wanted Isaiah's focus to move from who was not on the throne, to who was on the throne. Or from the temporal to the eternal. And also, he wanted to give Isaiah a vision of himself, which I believe was intended not only for Isaiah to see who he was in relationship to the Lord, but was intended to give him a peace. That while Uzziah may have been dead, he was alive. And he was in control. 
there's a message that you and I have needed in the last year and a half, it's that when COVID first started, you know where the Lord was? On the throne. You know where he is today? On the throne. You know where he's going to be tomorrow? On the throne. Sure, there's fear among some and there's anxiety. But the Lord has given to the believer a wonderful picture of himself in the scriptures that is designed to give us peace as we walk in the midst of fear. Well, what do we know about Uzziah? Because I believe that it's important for you to understand and for all of us to understand who Uzziah was. Uzziah, who is listed as Azariah in 2 Kings, do you know that he began his reign at the ripe old age of 16? Can you imagine that? Beginning to rule over a people at 16 years of age. He began at 16 and he ruled for 52 years. If you want to check these facts, you can turn to 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles this afternoon. And I would encourage you to please do that. But he ruled for 52 years. What happens when someone rules for that long with people? There's a settled. There's a settledness in the hearts of people, is there not? Oh, yeah. Same old, same old, same old. Can you imagine being under a ruler for 52 years? Aren't we glad that doesn't happen here? <laughs> Woo. Some of them we couldn't have taken for 52 years, right? Some of them we can't take for one year. But the Lord is on the throne. He reigned for 52 years. That's a long time. You can get comfortable and you can even get dependent on the person who's on the throne ruling over you more than you can be dependent on the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, as uh, the word in Second Chronicles uh, 26 tells us that Uzziah rebuilt Eloth, which might not sound like a big deal. And I kind of wondered about it myself because it's the second verse of the chapter. I'm like, wow, what's that there for? But this was a seaport city that was lost by his father under his reign. And a seaport city is important. Why is it important? Economy, right? And so he was able to rebuild the city for himself and for the people. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles 26 that Uzziah did right in the sight of God and he sought the Lord. In fact, if you're going to make a list of the top five kings, be it the north or south, he's in that top five. He did right in the sight of God, the Bible says, and he sought the Lord. That's what a king should do. Right? That's what our presidents, we would like very much, wouldn't we, for our presidents to seek the Lord. Do we pray that they would seek the Lord? We should. Because the Bible tells us we have a responsibility to pray for those who rule over us. The Bible tells us that King Uzziah was mighty in victories. 
He defeated Judah's enemies, the Arabs, the Philistines. But there's a small phrase in that that is very significant. When it recalls the victories of Uzziah, it says in verse 7 of 2 Chronicles 26, God helped him. (laughs) Right? You kind of just gloss over that, but we can't. Because God is the one who who fought for Uzziah and for Judah. God helped him. It it reminds me, you can't kind of hardly help it, it reminds you of of David and Goliath, doesn't it? Right? I mean, who was going to fight for David? The Lord. Who fights for us? The Lord. The Lord does. He had a huge military, over 307,000 soldiers. They were well-trained and they were well-skilled. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 26, 15, that they had engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. You say, what's the big deal? Oh, it was huge. Is it related to defending themselves from the enemies? He was a very innovative king. Not only is it related to war, but he was very skilled as a builder and in agriculture. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 26 that he built towers. That he constructed many cisterns for livestock as well as for crops. Scripture also tells us, very interestingly, that he loved the soil. (laughs) Right? You might want to skip over that, but I can't. He had farmers and he had vine dressers. He was a successful king. And he had a long reign. And it would have been very easy for Isaiah, as well as Judah, to be... to comfortable to the point of being relying only on Uzziah and not on the Lord. I kind of think that happens unintentionally maybe to us. But maybe, maybe we don't rely on the Lord as much as we should. You ever thought about that? How much do we rely on the Lord in our daily lives? Isn't he so good to us and so gracious to us and gives us Gifts all the time. (laughs) I believe that the Lord knew the conflict that was going on in the heart of Isaiah. The potential that there was for Isaiah to go, Oh no! The throne of Judah is empty. What now? Hey, we've done that, right? (laughs) Let's be honest. The Oval Office is empty. Uh Uh-oh, look look who we got. Oh, Lord, do you not know what's going on? He knows what's going on. How many of you believe that? He puts them on thrones, and the Bible says he does what? He takes them off. Sometimes I believe that for us that's a challenge. And I think sometimes we go, well, Lord, what are you doing? Did you know 
that we're moving toward the rapture of the church? Did you know that we're moving toward the Antichrist? Do you know that? I just think we ought to just live with the freedom to know the Lord's in control. The Lord wanted Isaiah to know while the throne in Jerusalem was empty, he was on the throne. <laughs> you know, Uzziah had some hiccups. Uh, man, if you study the kings, there's a lot of them that have lots of hiccups. But Uzziah had some hiccups, and one of them, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 12, or excuse me, 2 Kings 15, the same hiccup that Uzziah had, one of them, his father and his grandfather had. I think there's a lot to think about there. The temple was established in order that the people of God would worship where? The temple. 2 Kings chapter 15 tells us that Uzziah allowed the high places to remain. God wanted Israel to worship where? He wanted his people to worship in the temple. Not on the high places. Now there were times in Israel's history when they did worship on the high places and it was fine. But when you think about the high places, typically what do you think about? Pagan worship, don't you? You think about idolatry. And so the Bible tells us here in 2 Kings chapter 15 that he allowed the high places to remain just as his father and his grandfather had done and they should not have. In fact, some translations talk about all this great stuff that goes on in the life of Uzziah. And then it says in, in chapter 15 verse 3 or 4, it says, except only. But it was a big problem. In fact, early on, there was a kink in his armor. And this was it. He allowed the high places to remain. Just as his father and his grandfather had done. Can I speak to that for a minute? Do you know that there are patterns in families' lives? You aware of that? I thought by way of application, it would be important to think about there are times when you may be called on to break the pattern as a father or as a grandfather. That can happen, can it not? Maybe your father was an alcoholic. Maybe your grandfather was. Does that mean you need to be? No. There's a lot there. You could just teach on that for a whole hour. You know how I am, I could do it. So we have to, at times, break the patterns in families that are detrimental to our children and to those around us. But there was also another hiccup in his life, and it happened at the end of his life. And I provided the scripture for you on this. Um, well, I didn't even realize I gave you all that. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Second Chronicles 26. Or you can just look at what's on the screen. I'd like to hear your pages turning, but if not, that's okay. You say, Thad, this sure is a lot of information to leading up to focus. Yeah, but in context, it's very, very critical, I think. I think it's a great illustration for us. Notice 
the fall of Uzziah. It says, but when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. What got into the heart of Isaiah, I mean, uh, Uzziah? What got into his heart? Pride. Pride comes before what? Fall. It says, he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. Excuse me, to burn incense on the altar of incense. It wasn't his place to do that. That was not for the kings. The Bible says, Then Azariah the priest entered after him with 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they opposed Uzziah. We shouldn't take that lightly either. <laughs> Imagine that, right? You're opposing the king. Were they right? Answer? Yes. Would you have been trembling? Maybe. <laughs> they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. That word in the Hebrew means vexed. It, it literally means out of humor. No more humor. It's kind of like our thinking of, it may be humorous to start, but the humor ends. There's no more humor. It might, it might be like a conversation you have, just by way of illustration, with your father and something serious is going on and it kind of starts out a little, little humorous and before you know it, you're into the deep waters and you're like, if you're the kid, how in the world did we get here? That's the idea of the word enraged. And the Bible says, and while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out, because the Lord had smitten him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And I found this statement to be very sad. And he lived in a separate house, which we know that lepers did. That's sad. He was among the people. He was the man. He was the king for all those years. And then pride got a hold of his life. That happens to people. That happens to nations. You know what's happened to the United States of America? One of the problems, big problem, pride. We don't need you, God. We got this all figured out. And then we have times that come up in our history where people are going, uh-oh, where's God? You know what I'm talking about? When JFK was shot, uh-oh, where's God? When Reagan was shot, uh-oh, where's God? We need him. 9-11, uh-oh, where's God? And you have all your leaders out there, and it's like, well, keep on. Keep on seeking the Lord. I'm not so certain there aren't times when we're just a little bit too much like the world and we need to seek the Lord more than we do. 
I don't know. The Bible says that at the end of his life, he was in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And then it says, And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amaz, has written, So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the king's, for they said, he is a leper. And Jotham, his son, became king in his place. Isn't that sad? You look at the big picture. That's sad. You know, he sought the Lord. They prospered. Yeah, he had a hiccup with the high places. But at the end of his life, he went to a place he shouldn't have gone it wasn't for him. And he was inflicted with leprosy. And the Bible says he was alone. And can you imagine all of the things that could have been said about him? But notice the Bible says, for they said, he is a leper. You know, just I, as I thought about that, I was like, man, Lord, you can have all these things you do for the Lord. But, man, it matters how you finish. Because you know what? People are going to remember how you finish. <coughs> it led me to the question, if the Lord was to come back now, how would he find us? How are we finishing? We're finishing, by the way. If you didn't notice, you, notice, you are finishing. You're not going to live forever on this earth. Not going to happen. So from the day you were born, in a sense, you started finishing. Because as the Bible tells us, our days are what? Numbered by who? Us? Who said that? A girl? How old are you? She's an eight-year-old listening. Thank you, Lord. God, he has our days numbered. Can I say this with grace? I'm not sure that's been too much of a thought in the last year and a half. I'm just being honest with you. Just viewing it from, like Bear Bryant used to stand up writing on his tower and he's looking down on his team. As I'm looking, I'm going, Lord, we don't need to be shocked with the events of the day. Are we discouraged? Maybe. Are we anxious? Maybe. But do we know the end of the story? Answer, yes. So we rest in that. We rest in that. What a way to finish. And what a downer for, you, for Isaiah. <laughs> and for Judah. So to say in the year King Uzziah died, that's a mouthful. He was a great and wise king for years, but he didn't finish well. His life ended in tragedy, diseased and alone. So the Lord graciously reminds Isaiah that his focus didn't need to be on the loss of an earthly king, but on the heavenly king who was on the throne. 
whose identity is revealed in amazing language. <laughs> so let's look at that together. Can we? Thank you, Lord. I wasn't quite sure that was the next slide, but thank you. Do you see now, just from that little window there, that Isaiah could have easily been focusing on who was not on the throne. And the Lord was so gracious to give him this vision. So in the year of King Uzziah's death, in the year of this tragedy, notice what it says. The Bible tells us, I saw the Lord. Capital L, little o, little r, little d. You said that, what's the point? Well, in some of the scripture there, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Different? Answer, yes. Capital L, little o, little r, little d is Adonai. It's a title for the Lord. It means ruler, it means Lord, it means master. The Greek equivalent is this, kurios, which means Lord, ruler, master. So when we come to this verse and it says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord, you know what this is? A Christophany, not a theophany. I like what W.A. Criswell says, and I think it kind of explains it for you. This passage most certainly, he said, refers to the glory of Jesus. That's who Isaiah sees. In fact, John chapter 12, verse 41, tells us that same thing. That's what he writes. He says, it is certain that this vision was a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the living Lord. Woo-hoo! Man, I mean, that, I mean, for me, I'm like, whoa. you imagine for Isaiah how encouraging it must have been? There's an absence on the throne of Judah, but not on the throne of the Lord. It is certain, Criswell says, that this vision was a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the living Lord. It was the exact medicine the prophet needed in a time of crisis. <laughs> What's the medicine that we need in a time of crisis? The Lord. We need Him. It says, I saw the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Oh, excuse me, capital L, little O, little R, little D. I saw, he says, the pre-incarnate Christ. That's what we have here, according to Criswell and many theologians. And according to the Gospel of John. But it's in contrast to capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D that, that occurs in verse 3, which is a proper name of God. It's the, it's the name for the God of Israel. And so he says in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Now when you look the Hebrew word up there, uh, sitting, the word means dwelling, 
But I love the other meaning of it. It means remaining. Ooh, I like that. He says, I saw the Lord remaining on the throne. What does that indicate? That he has what? Been on the throne. And that he's still on the throne. And so do you get the big picture here? He's going, hey, Isaiah. It would be easy to focus on the temporal, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to focus on me. I'm on the throne. The throne may be vacant in Judah or about to be vacant, but it's not vacant in heaven. He says, I saw the Lord remaining on the throne. You know, there's several in Scripture who saw the throne. The Lord on the throne. David, Job, Jeremiah, Daniel, John. That would be an interesting study to do sometimes. Sometimes. He says, I saw the Lord remaining on a throne, which in the Hebrew means a seat of authority. Can I just say this? If it is the Lord that we say we love and follow, and he's on his throne, which he is, who is the ruler in our life? The Lord. The Lord. The word also means, throne also means honor. It's a place of honor. It means sovereignty. And then notice he says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, a seat of authority, lofty, lofty, excuse me, and exalted, or high and lifted up. These two words speak of the transcendence of the Lord, that he's above his creation. You understand that? He's above his creation. In fact, these two words have two huge thoughts for us to consider. These two words pointing to his transcendence, first of all, say this. He is above and independent of all created things. Right? Isaiah himself later on writes this. He says, thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, a separate place. You know, one of the problems of man today is he sees God like this. You know, there's like a lot of this, well, he's just my little buddy. Or, or you know, he, he, he's the one that if I need something, you're, you're going to be there, right? He's the glorified Santa Claus to a lot of people. Whatever I need, hey, he needs to give it to me. Whatever I want, he needs to give it to me. But he is distinct from all creation. He's absolutely distinct. And that's his second point. He's not only independent of all creation, but he is absolutely distinct from all creation. I want you to just turn over, since you are in Isaiah, just turn over to chapter 40. In chapter 40, we are told that our Lord is distinct in his identity. There is no one like him. Look what we're told. Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Who's like him? Nobody. Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it 
a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He too is a he who is, excuse me, too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you, do you guys see what's going on here? Like, you have people who are, who are crafting idols to worship. They have to be made. And our Bible tells us that he's from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been and will always be. There is no one like God. No one created him. He's always been. That's the one, guys, that we can trust. No wonder. How must this have been as Isaiah's putting all this together? Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing. (laughs) Remember Neb? Who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them. <laughs> I mean, I read this like, whoa. He merely blows on them and they wither. The storm carries them away like stubble. What must it have been like to be the disciples in that boat when that storm was raging and the water's in the boat and they're like, ah, help. And he said, be still. He told the wind to cease and the seas to stop. And by the way, it didn't just calm down. It was instantaneously, the sea was like glass. (laughs) That's the God we serve. Hey, I fully understand all the events that are going on in our world as much as I can. And I understand where the people of this world are coming from, being scared and not, not sure. We don't have to live in that camp. We can live in the camp that says, my God is on the throne. He's the creator. He's from everlasting to everlasting. You know what he did when he came to earth? He stopped that sea and he stopped that wind instantaneously. <laughs> right? You remember what the Bible Who is this man, man? Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Well... He's the Lord that was on the throne at the beginning of COVID, and he's the Lord that's on the throne today. To whom, then, verse 25, will you liken me that I would be as equal, says the Holy One? Lift up, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name. Because of the greatness of his might, And the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. You know, to me it's like, God's not going, "Uh uh-oh. And with what's going on in our world, the Lord's not going, oh no. Listen to me, everything that happens in your life and my life is filtered through the hand of the Lord. 
That gives me peace. I can rest in uncertain times because my Lord's on the throne. Hey, if he can speak it into existence, and if he can, right, people have asked me, and this is off subject, but people ask me, well, hey, what about, you know, those people that were eaten by sharks? And, I mean, how's he going to, man, listen, he took dust and he, he made Adam, and then he took a rib out of Adam and he made a woman. Ah, hey, he's pretty good. Better than any surgeon I know. How about you? Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. Hallelujah. Because I do, and you do. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who, what? Wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint or not become weary. He's absolutely distinct from his creation. And then it says, in the, king, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted. And look what it says at the end of the verse. With the train of his robe filling the temple. Theologians believe this speaks of the majesty of the Lord. He's majestic. You ever... Um, walked into a wedding where the train of a, a bride's just, it's like, you know, you're like looking for the end of it. You ever, you ever had that happen, right? It's just so full. You're like, where's the end of this? And sometimes you even have what? People picking up the train, right? And helping her go down the aisle because it's getting in the way. It's absolutely majestic, but there's nothing like the Lord. He is majestic. And he's holy and he's righteous and he's all those things. Well, that's a pretty good description, wouldn't you say? I mean, if you're Isaiah, are you not like, oh man, this, okay. <laughs> you know, Isaiah might be going, man, look what we have. Look who we have. And then notice what it tells us in verse 2 of this chapter. It says, Seraphim stood above him each having six wings can I pause and tell you something about that I was thinking about this each of them had six wings and it tells us about that but this is how awesome our creator is I wrote this down God's creation is equipped for their environment in other words, the seraphim have six wings because of where they are and who, whose presence they're in. But you think about it, if you just take that down here on earth, birds have what? They have wings. Fish have what? Gills. <laughs> Our Lord's amazing. I even wrote down hogs, they just taste good. <laughs> they don't have much, but they taste good.
The seraphim are equipped to be in the presence of the Lord. It says, the seraphim stood above him, each having six wings with two. He covered his face. Why? That's a pretty simple answer. They're in the presence of God's glory. That's why. And so when we think about the verse in 1 John, we just have to, it just has to blow our minds. And we know why we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. It's because of the righteousness of Christ and him covering us with his righteousness. But think about the way John writes it. That we will see the Lord in all his glory, face to face in all his glory. <laughs> Tell you what, you may be going through a crisis. And you may be going through difficulty. I got good news for you if you're in Christ. One day you're going to see the one who saved you face to face in all of his glory. That'll heal any headache you got. Then it says, with two, he covered his feet. William Vine, in commenting on this about the seraph, he says, they acknowledge their lowliness. It's a picture of humility, even while they're engaged in serving the Lord. You remember when Moses is on the mountain? And the Lord tells him to do what? Remove your sandals. He says, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. What made it holy? Him. Him. So with two, they cover their face. And with two, they cover their feet. And with two, it's almost like, okay, well, with two, they flew. Later on, we know in verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraph flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And then this part is just like, past understanding in some ways. I don't know. I mean, I've heard many pastors teach on this over the years, and I have to be honest with you, I haven't heard many that have uh, dealt with that first phrase, and I'm sure Dr. Hughley did because he took Isaiah, or excuse me, he taught Isaiah, and so um, I was like thinking as I was preparing this week, Dr. Hughley needs to be the one teaching this. But look at what, what takes place. In the presence of the Lord. It says, and one called out to another. That word called there means to proclaim. It can even mean to read at times. But they're proclaiming. There's a message here. And notice the seraphim. They call out to one another. And they say, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, when we want to emphasize something to our children, how does that look typically? Well, let's just say that your first, your child's name is Andrew. Let's just say that. And you want to get Andrew's attention. You know what you're going to say? Andrew Benjamin. It's not just Andrew. But it's Andrew Benjamin. I have a son named Andrew Benjamin. 
So when I want to get his attention, I don't just say, hey, Andrew. I'll say, Andrew Benjamin, for emphasis. In other words, if you hadn't been paying attention, you need to be now. Y'all done that with your kids? Isn't it fun? Hey, kids, I got, I got the good news for you. You get to do that one day. It's really fun. The Jews, when they wanted to emphasize something, would repeat a word. And we know that the Lord did that in his ministry. You'll see where he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly. And the idea is, be aware of. I kind of like that. I really like that definition. Be aware of. But wow, you don't just have it said once here or twice. But the seraph call out to the other and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. <laughs> wow. The Bible doesn't say mercy, mercy, mercy or love, love, love. But it does say holy, holy, holy. John Walvern, in commenting on this passage, said the threefold repetition of the word holy suggests supreme or complete holiness. He says it also serves as a marker for the fact that God is separate, separate, separate from his creation. <laughs> I just think we get to be in his presence one day. <laughs> it's amazing. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Lord, notice that Lord there is capitalized. It's the proper name of God. It's a name referring to the God of Israel. What did Isaiah need at that time? Affirmation that God was the God of who? Israel. Notice, he's, notice it says... The Lord of hosts. The word host there means armies. You remember Revelation chapter 19, what it says? I know you do, but I'm going to read it to you. This is the coming of the Lord, his second coming. So it's distinct from the rapture. And by the way, those that are in heaven after the Bema seat judgment and the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bible tells us in verse 11 of Revelation 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war and his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which, which are in heaven. <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine one day we're going to be coming back with our Lord? And the next part I'm going to say, I can't even imagine, to rule and reign with him. So he says in Isaiah chapter 6, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Creation does what? Creation itself declares what? The glory of God. 
when I was in Belize, Central America for the very first time in 1992, I didn't want to go. I have to be honest. I didn't want to go on a mission trip to Belize, Central America. Because my mind had snakes and lizards and things I didn't, and spiders, you know, the kind that I can't pronounce. All those things, and they were going to be in my shoes and around the corner and all that. My pastor, Phil Stamp, said, Dad, you're going. You have a choice. Just like one time he told me I had to sing in the choir and do this thing with the choir. It was an Easter cantata. He said, I want you to sing in it. I sang in it. Wow. But he said, you're going to Belize. And so in Belize, you can stay in Belmapond, which is pretty nice because you get to stay with Marion, and she cooks, and she cooks well. Or you can go out to the camp. I call it the camp. It's far away by bus from Marion's comfort. And when I say Marion's comfort, I mean that. She makes homemade, this is off subject, she makes homemade buns for hamburgers. Can I get an amen to that, right? I mean, you're like, hallelujah. The last time I was there, I'll get back to the original story. The last time I was there, um, I went to the top bunk and I fell on David Nichols. Probably because I was a little heavy. Yeah, well, I didn't want to say it like that. But the whole bunk fell, and, and, and so I couldn't stay there any longer. And I can't, I have to be honest, I was like, hallelujah, I get to go stay with Marion. So I got to be in the main house where all the sweet rolls were and all the homemade stuff. But I hadn't experienced that yet because this was 92. And we went out to King's College. And we only went for 24 hours that first trip. Some of them stayed out there the whole time. Good for them. But we got to go for 24 hours, and I didn't honestly want to go there, but I'll never forget because they were telling me about all the different animals that were out there, and I'm like, okay. And they cut off the power. There was only power for so long, and they cut off the power right about, maybe you have an hour of it at dark, maybe. And so then it's just like black pitch black. I'm talking about black, okay? And, and you have to be careful where you put your shoes. If, if you ever go, be careful. Because there's things that can get in those shoes. But anyway, I walk outside. I look up and I'm like, whoa. I've seen stars, but not like that. You know, another thing that happened to Belize, these are two good reasons to go to Belize. We went to the Keys to snorkel. And I remember putting on goggles. I'm not real crazy about covering my face with anything, but I put, I put the goggles on, and we had those little things, you know, so you can breathe. And so I'm, so I'm in the water, and I'm looking, and I'm like, whoa. And right there in that water is the Lord is witness. I said, Lord, I am so sorry. I have limited you in your creation to about like that. My son just bought a book and it's about the Hubble telescope and all the different things that are available for us to see. Isn't our God amazing? We walk out at night and we see the stars and we think, wow, my God, he put those stars there. We go into hospital rooms where babies are born and we're like, wow, God, you put that together. 
And yet, Lord, I can sit in my room and I can fret over the next day. I don't need to fret. You know what I need to do as a believer? I need to focus. I need to focus on who he is. I need to focus on his majesty. I need to focus on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. That doesn't mean, like I said, that we're not educated about the things on the earth. But that's not where our primary focus is. Have you ever wondered why a pigeon walks the way it does? Kind of different and funny. I've always thought they were weird. Right? Who's going to admit this? You're scared of a pigeon. Anybody? So like when they're around you, it's just feel like they're going to attack you. In the Detroit Free Press years ago, there was an article about pigeons. And according to the article, um, a pigeon walks the way it does so it can see where it is going. Because it cannot adjust its focus as it moves. The pigeon actually has to bring its head to a complete stop between steps in order to refocus. So it made me think, since March of 2020, you and I have taken many steps. Maybe it's time for us to refocus and to remember that we serve a holy, holy, holy God. And no matter what we face, our God is with us because the Bible tells us he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Let's pray. Lord, we would confess to you that at times in our lives we get off center. And Lord, we're human. You know that. You created us. And just as we see illustration after illustration in the Bible of men and women who got off center and focused on the event or on the events or on themselves, that's easy to do. We don't need help in doing that. We just have a tendency, a propensity to to be selfish and to think about self and to focus on self and to focus on the things around us because we want to be comfortable. Lord, there's certainly times in our lives where we've been uncomfortable. And those times are designed to remind us that there's no one like you. That we can depend on you. That you're trustworthy. Lord, I know that there are many people home today. In our congregation and other congregations. Look, they want to remain healthy. I understand that. I'm for that. Um, I miss them when they're not here. But Lord... I pray you would help all of us while we think about safety and security and all those things. I pray that 
that you would help us to have the right perspective that, Lord, you're in control and you're on the throne and we're not going to live a second longer than you've already set. And that while we have life, that our focus would be on you and on the awesome privilege we have to enter your presence and to learn more of who you are from the word. Lord, I'm reminded of the passage in Acts chapter 1 where the apostles say to the Lord in the form of a question, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And the Lord Well, it's a great question. In a lot of ways, you tell them it's not for them to know times and seasons. And then you give them a commission. But you shall be my witnesses, my martyrs. I want you to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I want you to tell them who I am. Lord, please help us. Help us not to ask questions to the point that we lose sight of what you've put us here to do. And that's to glorify you. And part of the way that we do that, a big portion of that, is sharing the gospel with others in our culture today who are truly scared and have no hope. Oh, Lord, help us to be different. Help us to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as people come to know you, Lord, help us to rejoice. I really believe you've given us a season. There's a season. I don't know how long. It brought my mind back to Noah. You told him to build an ark, never been a raindrop. He preached for you, Lord. We know you're coming next, and we know what's going to happen on earth because your word tells us. So with that in mind, Lord, help us to be men and women committed to sharing the truth with others because the greatest need that everyone has walking around on the earth is you. And I pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray for those who are spiritually sick, I pray for those who are physically sick. And God, we just know that we can trust you. And that's certainly part of the lesson here for Isaiah. And I pray that you would help us, please, by your spirit, to focus in on what's eternal most and not what's temporal. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Holy, holy.
last verse just with our voices and let's lift it up. God's people said amen, right? Amen. Just a couple of announcements before we go today. Um, small groups will begin in September, and uh, we don't typically do this like all the time. We typically have choices for folks, but this time we're going to uh, do this study on Romans 8.28, and um, Robert Morgan has written a book entitled God Works All Things Together for Your Good. And he really does a great job of breaking down everything around it, as well as verse 28. And I would encourage you to sign up for these small groups. They're important for your walk and your life. Just encouragement, praying together. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. Is it toward the end as you walk out? So please sign up. We're just not a really good church about signing up, can I be honest with you? Um, so... If you would do that, we would really, really appreciate that. Also, I wanted to make mention of the New to Grace. We will be having a New to Grace class on the 22nd of this month. And so I just would really encourage you guys to uh, sign up for that if you're wanting to know more about Grace and you've been attending for a while. Um, also, wanted to make mention of, of the tabernacle that uh, we will have on display uh, the 9th through the 19th of September. And there are sign-up sheets. You can't miss them. They're all up and down that wall. They're on the right side as you walk out. And we appreciate Roxanne Wheeler and so many others who are getting this together to put it together for not only our people, but for outreach into the community. So uh, you pray about that and, and when you might want to sign up uh, for that. All right, one more thing, and that's next week. Um, we have another speaker, another elder, who will be speaking next week. 
And the subject is happiness and holiness. So you come, and uh, I know the Lord will bless that time uh, together. It's very exciting for me to have the elders um, speaking in front of you. I, I don't even know if I can express it in words. So I'm just thrilled that um, they're able to do that. I think it's a really awesome thing for me to be able to... I can sit with my wife, and uh, I didn't do it last week. They got on to me because I, but there was no room. This week, there's plenty of room, but I'm up here. So um, we look forward to the next week as uh, another elder brings to us the message of happiness and holiness. So why don't we pray, and then we'll be dismissed, all right? Well, we just want to thank you so much for who you are and just the reminders you give us in Scripture. Lord, you're so gracious. As I look at this vision in, in Isaiah 6, it's just a picture of grace as well. Your grace in Isaiah's life, he needed this, and you gave it to him, and Lord, you're so good to give us what we need. It's not always easy to, to hear or um, easy to deal with. But Lord, we're just thankful that you love us so much because we're your children. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us in our lives not only to recognize your holiness, but to live like those who've been called and separated to you. And so we just commit our day to you. Help us to be keenly aware of the opportunities you give us to um, spread the gospel, to talk about you. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.